Hi there, Andile here, and this is part two of my conversation with AfriClick founder Dayo Akindrinade. Now, AfriClick is a new dating and networking app that aims to connect people of African and Caribbean heritage through their culture. In this episode, Dayo sketches the magnitude of the business opportunity that she and her team are looking to convert, and she unpacks her company's growth focus. Now, before we roll on the episode, just a quick heads up. If you haven't listened to the first part of this episode, be sure to go back and do that first. And uh, while I'm on the mic, I might as well remind you that the fourth annual Afrobytes Marketplace will be taking place in Paris on Wednesday, the 15th of May, 2019. It's going down at Station F, the world's biggest startup campus. And we'd love for you to join us for what is no doubt, no doubt in my mind, Europe's preeminent gathering of Africa-focused business and technology leaders, founders, investors, innovation architects, and policymakers. And so courtesy of African Tech Roundup and the lovely folks at Afrobytes, you, a listener of this podcast, can get a handy 25% discount on tickets to the event using the offer code ATRU. Now, all you have to do is head to africantechroundup.com forward slash Afrobytes 2019. That's africantechroundup.com forward slash A-F-R-O-B-Y-T-E-S 2019. Head there to book your seat now, and we can't wait to see you there. And now, enjoy the episode. Right, so we totally got interrupted uh, when we first started talking. It was so much excitement going on at what was Afrobyte's first tour stop um, on their international tour. London, of course, having the honor of being the very first tour stop off of this particular tour. You were spirited away by um, some lovely ladies who had to prepare you for your pitch. Tell us how that went. Like, what were you pitching? Who was in the room? What was the vibe? So I was pitching and I would call this like my early stage pitch for AfriClick which just to be reminded so that is the dating app I'm founding and it's specifically targeting global Africans and our aim is to connect Africans through their culture for dating although we also have a networking mode built into the app so I would say overall I mean there were there were three pitches my pitch went very well. I finished it in the time that was needed. I communicated all of the main points I wanted to. I largely follow the guy, you know, there's a, that entrepreneur called Guy Kawasaki and he has yeah, a great yeah. blog post. It's the, the 10 slide format. Yeah. Is, so, he, the, is he still the Apple uh, evangelist? I think he was at some point. He was like Apple's chief evangelist or something like that. Yeah, I think he still might be. I haven't really heard he from him be. in a while. Um, yeah, me neither. But I, I do yeah. know he he had a big hand in sort of the emergence of Canva, uh, which, you know, is a game changer in terms of like um, yep. graphic uh, design software that like normal people like me can use. Yep. But, but yeah, nonetheless, sorry, I digress. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to my world. <laughs> no, so um, I, think, I think he said it with Apple. So the pitch went great. And I know a yeah. pitch has gone well. Uh, a by scanning the room when it's happening. And I judge, I judge how well a pitch has gone by the questions that come from the audience afterwards. Right. And I find that if they're asking de-risking questions or clarification, drill down questions, maybe, you know, it hasn't gone well. But if the questions more like, I mean, I was asked, um, okay, what's your conversion rate at the moment? So, you know, sort of where, 
you might approach a group of customers and try and get them to sign up. And I told them, which is right, it's it's like 98% at the moment. So if we do a pop-up or we do an event. Dang, we, that's good. Yeah, we said, I mean, I'm, I, we target specific events where we know African men and women have come to kind of meet each other and socialize. And I said, you know, if I do an event and I have the guest list in advance and I know there's a hundred guests there, we will typically sign up about 98 people. Like before we, before we kind of leave wow. the space at the moment, like, um, organically at the moment because we're not doing paid acquisition. So, I mean, I think it went well. There was great energy in the room. Well, listen, I mean, when, when we sort of got cut off the other day, um, you were still sort of explaining YS, YS and how you guys got started mm-hmm. and the sort of value proposition you're taking to the market as far as the ecosystem and its gaps mm-hmm. and how you guys can solve for that. I want us to go back to that and we will. So, um, to, to our listeners, we're like, more of that, more of that. Don't you worry. It's happening. But since we're on the AfriClick topic, you, you said something just now in passing that, that got me thinking. You say when you've pitched in the past, you know, you know, it hasn't gone well because you're getting certain kinds of questions. And you said, um, if there's sort of, uh, risk mitigation type questions or you said something else. Yeah. So, and, and to clarify, actually, uh, I haven't had those questions before, but I've seen those questions happen to well, other entrepreneurs before. You tell them, you tell them, Dio. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's similar in the London, in London, you can go to a tech event every evening if you want to. Yeah. You can go to yeah. two every evening. And if you don't want to buy your dinner, you can go and find the free pizza and eat and see demo nights, pitch nights. So there's, there's so much opportunity just to float around the ecosystem. But, right. uh, but yeah, to your point, I think, I find, okay, so I find like if you look at the Guy Kawasaki model, as we know, there's a number of things we need to cover off within the five minute pitch. Now, what's a favorite to do in London is they've now shortened it to a three minute pitch. Oh, which yes. And the new favorite favorite, which I'm seeing now happen at tech awards is a one minute pitch with no slides. Hmm. Those are like the formats we're trending towards. So kind of getting tougher and tougher. And I think it's yeah. actually a byproduct of investors maybe getting a bit bored from their perspective because they're sitting back on a panel having to listen. So I just think they're trying to reduce the time they have to listen. So now I would say the three minute pitch is the most popular. And if it's quite a showy, glitzy event, it can be the one minute. So with your three minute pitch, you're never going to cover everything. So you almost have to sort of decide as the entrepreneur, the person telling the story, which I think a lot of people kind of don't. I see some people just try and rush everything into the three minutes. What I feel the best strategy is, is you have to decide what questions do I want to ask them when it comes to the Q&A. So say, for example, for AfriClick, if it's three minutes, I wouldn't cover. Sorry, do you mean what questions do I want them to ask me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because you know you can't cover everything. In five minutes, sorry, even in three minutes, you can't cover everything. So say, for example, and then you now choose that question. And of course you choose that question. You want it to be the, the question that's the, the least risky thing about the story you're telling. So for okay. example, with AfriClick, if I only have three minutes, I won't do the competition slide. I will not do, because it's a dating app, I won't do the how it works slide. So to explain that AfriClick is in the app store, it is free to download. You set up a profile. We know specific data points about you to do with African culture. Our algorithm will suggest. So I know that if by the time my pitch finishes at the end, you don't quite know if there's any competition and maybe you're curious to know how the app works. 
So I know those questions are going to come. I make sure those slides are positioned after my closing thank you slide. So as soon as you get the question, you flash up that slide. So you're kind of skillfully using the Q&A hmm. time to show them more information. I'm giving a lot of Snap. secrets. I'm giving Snap. a lot of secrets away. <laughs> Keep it going, sister. You know how we roll over here. We love, we love getting people to share like what's actually working, actionable insights. You know we love that yes, here. So yes, exactly. you're in the right place for this. Okay, perfect. So yes. in the, the Q&A, you'll flash up those slides and then use it to answer the question and and. I, I pretty much know, like, if, if I leave out those questions, people will ask afterwards, oh, you know, yeah. is there any competition in the market? Or I also may not cover the slide for me personally, because AfriQuick is, it's early stage, we're currently doing the closed beta. So if it's yeah. three minutes, I won't cover our customer acquisition and our methods of how we're going to acquire, because it's less important at this stage of the business. But I know if they ask afterwards, how will you get customers? Then there's, yeah, something, yeah. there's something prepared. Right. And then you've obviously yeah. see, seen other people flame and, and then they get like certain kinds of questions. What sort of questions have you seen people get asked that indicate that <laughs> they're on their way down? <laughs> okay. So I've seen, I wouldn't say the name of the startup. It was a startup to do with car rentals. Yeah. Making one aspect of car rentals a little bit easier. And I mean, he got floored with a question where the, 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 the investor he was pitching to named a particular American startup that was also in the space that had recently, I suppose, gone bust, failed and right. asked him, Oh, what about so, so and so? What do you think happened there? And unfortunately, he didn't know the name of this startup. Oh, no. And right. the, 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 the investor took that as, uh, I suppose really you don't know bad. your market. You don't yes. know your competitive landscape. Yes, because they they want to know you're obsessed. So I've seen that. I've also seen our three men pitch this for this obsessed a- thing. This obsessed thing. They want to yes. know you're obsessed. So basically, <laughs> don't be a person. Just care about the what you're building, and everything else can die. Like the sun doesn't even need to come up tomorrow. What is up with that? Like what the heck? I mean, I don't know about uh, you're saying obsession to the exclusion. Of, of everything Off, like else. sunrise. You know what I mean? Like what the flip? I think obsessed <laughs> with the information and the data points. So in yeah. fact, even in the Q&A for AfriClick, right? I yeah. have a slide where I explain that within market research, there is no valuation for Africa's dating market. Okay. Because it's a new market and nobody has treated it that way. Whereas, Which is huge for VCs because they're like, how big is this opportunity? And you're like, listen, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we actually like to get married in our culture. Like, we're not just there to we're not just there to hook up. We have a big driver, bigger driver than perhaps than perhaps I, I other you, cultures. I don't know if you've ever noticed about us Africans. <laughs> we, we we like weddings, so I I kind of you know I have one slide where I will explain that globally it's almost a three billion dollar market. Within America, it is about two billion. Within uh, China, for example, it's, I believe it's about, uh, 200 million. So, so I, in essence, I have one slide where I value Africa's online dating market at 214 million, uh, dollars. And with that the, sounds conservative to me. I, that's actually, and actually I do, I do say that sometimes when I, um, when, when you're I, bullish. 
Um, <laughs> when I, um, like if, if I'm sitting down with people, I do say it's, it's conservative. It's a, it's a bottom up estimation. And then what I kind of do is I peg it. I look at India and I look at China and it lands somewhere in the middle. But, but I agree. It absolutely could be bigger. And I think the rate of growth is going to be higher. So whereas within America and Europe, it's growing at about 7%. But, you know, I think we know within Africa, it's going to do some hyper growth first. So around being obsessed with your numbers during the Q and A, someone in the audience said to me that, well, it's very hard to find Africa data. So how did you come up with the 240 million? Now, in terms of being obsessed with my numbers, I had to throw out quite a few numbers out there and the different sort of like data points and how I intersected certain numbers. So that was where some obsession kind of helped. Your comfort with like talking the numbers, perhaps that's your consulting background coming to the fore, you tell me, but there's definitely a cultural aversion, I feel, on the continent around numbers. You know, you as a listener to this show, you'll know how I sort of have to literally draw it out of people. Like, how well are you doing? Like, how, how do you come to like, what's your scoreboard? Like, what's the market saying? And, and everyone kind of points to the same excuses like, oh, you know, we don't want to tip off our competition or we don't want to, you know, we don't the, the, the market obsessing over the wrong sort of metrics while we're trying to grow. And, and I think I, I can appreciate that to, to some extent, but I also think when it comes to to the things we need to know, the actionable insight we need to be extracting and have readily available to, to founders and investors and others on our, within our ecosystem. I think it's a bit of a disservice that we ourselves don't seem ready and willing to talk numbers. What's your sense of that within your context based in London, but also in terms of your interactions with African founders or diaspora founders everywhere else? I think I've definitely experienced a similar sentiment. And I think, cause I think here we're, we're talking about, uh, later stage startups, right? So yeah. the pre-seed or, or seed stage. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand to an extent. So say, for example, within the, the field of, of dating, a lot of dating apps that are, that are launched and functional, a lot of them will not tell you how many maybe monthly active users that they have. Mm-hmm. I think there is a reluctance to discuss the key metrics. And until a startup, maybe they've hit that hyper growth, maybe once they're at the top of the hop- hockey stick and it starts mm-hmm. to look impressive, then you will start to see the numbers. And to your point, I think that that culture does a disservice to younger entrepreneurs coming up. It does a disservice to even investors, because I know within the UK, for example, within venture capital firms, there's actually a known culture of sometimes if uh, if a startup approaches a VC, even if they know they're not going to invest, sometimes they will still go through the process of requesting access to all of their information. And what the venture capitalist is doing is adding their metrics to their library of metrics to Mm. then use it to assess similar entrepreneurs in other industries in the future. They'll never tell you this, but a lot of the time this is what is happening. So even Mm. the VCs are gathering data to benchmark. I mean, one great source that I found that has really helped me are you familiar with Airtable? I am familiar with Airtable. Perfect, Airtable. yeah. It's a little yeah. bit like, uh, it's like type form. So within Airtable, somebody set up like uh, like a Airtable gallery slash yeah. not quite a database. And it's yeah. called a Startup Pitch Dex. 
with just okay. hyphen in between. And I've sent you the link in case you want to share it with the viewers. I so, will Or the listeners, rather. So yes. Startup Pitch Decks, <laughs> it's a database of loads and loads and loads of pitch decks. And what's great about it is some of them are pre-seed, some of them are series A, some are series B, some are series C. Um, companies even like, aside from things we know like Coinbase and uh, Magic Leap and Launch Rock and Buffer, but also also lesser known startups. Uh, for me, it's a brilliant resource because I find it, once a startup gets to about series A and B, their metrics are not a secret. And once they're raising further rounds, you can often find the cost of customer acquisition. You can find yes. the spend on advertising. For me, this has been a gold mine because sometimes as entrepreneurs, we, we don't really know what is the benchmark. How well yeah. should, how well, how well should we be doing? And I think that's why so many people are in love with the how I built this podcast. Yeah. 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 I really think someone, that's someone why. said it's quite painful. Um, but I think that's, that's the point. So someone, someone I quite respect actually, uh, a, a founder himself actually says he has to listen, but he finds it painful. And I think it's because like many people out there, he, you know, he's not necessarily inclined to the, the detail that's sometimes unpacked in that podcast around again, numbers, um, Interesting. The, the nuances of growth. You know, which I think actually kind of makes sense, which also makes our podcast not one for everybody, which I wish it was. I wish, I wish this was sort of like a mainstream delicacy. <laughs> I think it's a mainstream delic delicacy for Africa tech, my friend. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And, and, and we certainly like to think so, but the conversations we have internally are like, are we, are we doing enough to hold everyone to account? AfriClick included. Like, are we asking the questions that actually move the needle? Um, because people want to know. Yeah, because uh, people need to know. People pee -pee -pee -pee. need to know. People need to know. I, I do. A we lot can't of have the. We can't have someone else starting a dating app like you. You know, an, another young sort of African or diasporan starting a, a a dating app like you and having to start from a lower base than you did. Or and and making similar just, mistakes. Although I will mistakes, say yeah. to anybody listening, if you are interested in African dating and you're thinking of starting an app. Just email me at info at africlick.com and come and join the team because I ha. will say that something I do see and I'll, I'll restrict this particularly to the UK black British tech is mm -hmm. that I find I don't see enough teams. Oh, I see. So I find when I go to We're not to collaborative pitch, enough. Ah, uh, now, okay. I wouldn't throw in that word because you know, that word can trigger people. And okay. say, okay. oh, I'm a team player and this, this, but, but to, to your point, I think <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe sometimes whether it's trust, whether it's ego, whether it's lack of network, whether it's the fact that maybe our people don't have complementary skill sets. So maybe if two people have the same skill, then you know, what's the point in, um, kind of getting together? I mean, don't get me wrong. I do see teams, but I do find that because sometimes like I judge at hackathons or mentor or, you know, sometimes I participate in startup things where I'm kind of helping out, like from the sideline. And I do often find that. And, and this is even me saying it myself in terms of I'm, I'm technically, although I have a team, I am technically a solo founder. So I'm, yeah. I, one could say I'm guilty of this too, but I see too many of us, which is okay that I see too Going many solo. of us solo. But then what I then see are solo people working on similar concepts. Mm, and then mm, I'm like, mm. guys, get together. If you are 
some happy-go-lucky white English people. They're always coming along in a team of three and four full of smiles. They may not even have complementary skill sets. So you've got three business developers, you know, together. And even I'm looking in my head thinking, okay, guys, this doesn't work, but they're a team, you know? Yeah. yeah. Look, I certainly have experienced that coming into the the sort of tech media space. Um, I was regarded with a lot of suspicion in the first sort of couple of years of being here and, and sort of reaching out to, to fellow publishers and, and media makers who are like, please, you know, because my thing was, you know, courts is coming, <laughs> you know, it's only a matter of time before in the context of, of podcasts, uh, you know, to my mind, it was like Slate might do their thing. And well, BBC is certainly showing us that, you know, people are coming for our stories, for our yes. insights, for, you know, they want to corner the narrative in the context of what we do. And we can't be fighting over scraps, folks. Let's, let's mm-hmm. collaborate. And I have mm-hmm. to admit, even in the context of what I do, it's been really tough to get people to, to see it that way. It's, it's definitely starting to happen. There's collaboration happening behind the scenes and, and we're starting to do things and do business together. But it's definitely didn't come as naturally as one might have hoped or have sort of idealized before. In, our, know, con- in our continent of scarcity as a Nigerian where there's never enough even water and electricity, I think yeah. sometimes that's what holds us back from the collaboration because it's this environment of survival and there is just mm. never enough. Yeah. And With the irony being that, I mean, you mentioned all the places you, 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 I mean, you cited China, you cited North America and all these other places. Like they could all fit on our continent with some space left over still. I mean, so that's the irony that we've got so much going and there's just, it makes no sense to be scrapping. Absolutely. And because they are coming, <laughs> they're coming and they'll, they're all, yeah. And, and, and they're, well unif- they're, they're unified. They're unified Abs- absolutely. And, and they don't mind like our chaos and our inability to, to get together. Like they don't mind at all. Even looking at uh, Afrobytes landing in London, you know, that was yeah. with the support of uh, Gary Stewart of Wira UK. He's um, mm-hmm. the head of uh, Wira Telefonica, the, yeah. um, the accelerator. Uh, YSYS, we came on as community partners mm-hmm. and and we're like doing the whole media partnership thing you from guys here. are doing I mean, the media this is how things come it, together Absolutely. it has to work this way but then you know again <laughs> I, I don't even know how we got here but make the case for AfriClick we've got Facebook out in these streets we've got pretty much every major social media we platform have Tinder that, you know, we have Bumble that, so, <laughs> yeah that's that's trying to you know facilitate everything from illicit hookups to you know giving you your lifetime partner yes talk to me i mean why africa what's what's the big sell here and i'm not speaking really as a skeptic i'm I'm really just curious to know like of all the things you would sort of settle on this as as a sort of business opportunity to pursue Absolutely. Business opportunity. And also there is a strong sense of vocation and the fact that black people deserve better. I was really driven to start AfriClick from having really bad experiences on mainstream dating apps and not just myself, a lot of people around me. So say, for example, I could be with my also Nigerian friend and she'll be swiping on Tinder. Uh, I wouldn't name his name. An Italian doctor who goes to Imperial College will come up on her profile on Tinder. I'll say he's white. I'll say swipe right on him because he likes black women and he'll definitely say yes to you. So she'll swipe right on him. 
and then she'll match with him. So I'm saying, how is it working that with all, within all the dating apps in London, us black women are beginning to know exactly which men on the apps are going to say yes to us and say no to us. So, so you're saying the Italians um, like their chocolate? Basically. No, I'm, I'm talking about a particular Italian doctor, but but I mean, but I mean, you, you do get a bit of. I get you. Sometimes you will swipe yes on the Italians, and they'll say, "Yeah, my ebony princess," or "I like chocolate," or "Do you have any friends?" or whatnot. So in essence, I was really driven to create Africa to your, to your point because having terrible experiences on mainstream dating apps, either from what we call the sort of fetishization where mm-hmm. you may match with somebody of another race, but the conversation is driven entirely around your skin color and you're being asked things like, I don't know, you're being called words like ebony and chocolate and princess and you remind me of a Giselle mm. and all wow. this kind of... Uh, romanticized stuff which is a kind of mm. uh off off putting a wimble way <laughs> exactly <laughs> so like, just throwing some lion king <laughs> in the mix you know exactly so right i'm right. yours <laughs> exactly so yes. we were either dealing with that or yeah. sometimes we would say then you would have to swipe about 30 times before you would even see a black face black man mm-hmm. then when mm-hmm. you see a black man you have to question does he date black women? Mm. Dating in the diaspora, black women is one of the few demographics that if we meet a black man, we actually have to think first, does he date within his race? Hmm. That, that, that's the thing now. You can't just assume. And, hmm. you know, and well, you can assume and go up to him, but you're trying to sort of find, find that out. Then also what I found is that with the culture, with the current apps out there, everything is very much geared towards the hookup culture. So if I make a profile on Tinder it's taking my name, my age, my job title, and my location. That's it. Mm. For me, that's not enough information. For a lot of people I know, it's not enough information. Even if we look at like our culture, I don't for, just For an African, know. Certainly, certainly not enough information. No, it's not enough information. <laughs> just like... I mean, the, the way I describe it kind of in investor speak, I say that with Africans, I say we don't just match on personality and attraction. We also match on social status and ethnicity. Now, yeah. what we mean breaking that down is, and I, I give my typical example where I say, okay, I say this is Chioma. I said she lives in London, but she's also from Nigeria, which is important to her. I say she's also Igbo which is very important to her. I say that Chioma has an undergraduate degree and her family sacrificed a lot of their dignity to move to the UK and start again so that she could get a great education. So when she's looking for a partner, it is imperative to her that she's also finding somebody who has had that level of education because so much sacrifice has gone in to to get her there. These are all of the things she's looking at. Dang. then we're saying Chioma has, uh, she has sickle cell genotype. So she's a, she's a carrier. Her, her blood type is SC, which means that she lives a perfectly normal life, which by the way, 10% of sub-Saharan Africans are sickle cell hmm. carriers. It's just wow. something we kind of don't really sort of talk about, but it means that if she is looking to match up with somebody and have children, she needs to be cognizant of what his blood type is as well. 
because if he is also SE, then, you know, there's a one in four chance that their child will be like fully sickle cell and have a reduced life expectancy. And just, it's something which now we just need to be responsible in our culture, right? And do mm. the, do the genotyping and, and match and try and avoid these things. So in essence, with AfriPIC, really, our profiles, they fit our culture where you can give your name, the city you live in, where you're originally from. If you have another ethnic group you identify with, you can put that. You can put your level of education. You can put your job. Now, what we do with your sickle cell genotype is we do not show it on your profile. It's held in the back end and our algorithm can take it into consideration. But because it's private information, we don't show it. Similarly, you can also tell AfriClick what you're looking for. So you can say if you just want casual dating or married in the next one to two years or married in the next three to 10 years. Again, we don't show that on your profile because we feel that's private. And sometimes some people don't know, you can check more than one, but that information stays in the back end, and we can use that to match you. We also have cute hashtags, which are tailored to our culture. So we have things like, you know, super malt and Afro beads and Afro house. So when you're putting your interests, you can just choose from all of these hashtags, which are tailored to culture. I hope you have church culture. up in there. I'm sure we do. And I think we are something for Muslim as well. Uh, oh, okay. And, and actually even our list of religious choices is very, very extensive. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's Africa friendly. So it's going into seventh day Adventist. And Which I am, by the oh, way. <laughs> see, there you go. We're ready for you. We're ready for you. How many? That is so random <laughs> that you just just throw out like a Christian denomination. I happen to be one. Okay, well, well, there you go, everybody. <laughs> I know. So, so yeah. So in essence, the profiles are tailored to our culture, which lets us be our yeah. true selves. So and, can and I push back a little bit on this? If my question was, what makes you different? Like, what's your why given all what uh, seems to be like the, the myriad of options I have as, as a person looking for a dating app? And of course, I'm not looking for a dating app, but th- that's the other thing I found quite curious about yours as well, where it's like, it's not just for people looking to, to partner up with significant others. You're encouraging networking as well. And I, I I'll, I'll want you to speak to that, but here's the pushback. The pushback is, this sounds really exclusive. Isn't this playing into this dangerous narrative where it's like, there's a healthy for us by us, but then there's also an unhealthy for us by us that is exclusive and almost militant in its approach to, you know, some of the positive aspects of globalism and being citizens of the world and love knows no boundaries, etc. Like, what's your, what's your take mm, on that? That's very interesting. I mean, love knows no boundaries, but. I don't know. If, I, if I'm a Nigerian and I happen to fall in love with a white American, I don't think Trump is giving me a visa anytime soon. To, yeah, there are many boundaries. Many, 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 many boundaries. I that. But I mean, I would say with AfriClick, actually, our strapline is connecting through culture. Okay. And that's at the forefront of everything we do in terms of our founding mission and not just within on the continent, but also the diaspora. So understanding that as a people, we are spread between Africa and oftentimes the UK, the USA, and these days more so, you know, as far as Malaysia, China mm. or whatnot. So we're saying, okay, is this exclusive? So first of all, anybody can join AfriClick, regardless of your color, regardless of your culture. What we do ask is that as our mission is to connect global Africans through their culture, is that you are interested in the culture and you respect the culture. 
then you okay. are welcome to join. And that's just inclusion and that is respect. In terms of if this is exclusive, I would say, well, Africa is the world's second largest continent. We are building something for the world's second largest continent. Yeah. That's pretty So, I mean, if that reach. sounds exclusive to you, then okay. And furthermore, <laughs> and I do feel this is something oftentimes where I think we question ourselves within our culture. Let me give you an example. So, okay, hmm. shardy.com, market estimated at around $170 million. That's about what they're doing. Shardy.com does Indian matrimonial dating. If you speak to any Indian person or the founders or their investors, they don't think it's a problem that something has been created for English people globally. If you go and look at JDate, which does dating for Jewish people, JSwipe, if you go and speak to them, Jewish people have absolutely nothing wrong in saying, this is our culture. We're proud of it. We're going to create tools to enable us to connect. Muzmatch is a very, very successful uh, Muslim dating app. The guy actually, he came through uh, Y Combinator and he sold them on the fact that, well, Muslims date to marry and we need a platform that works within our religion. So we well, not just the religion, of course, like with the culture. So I really do strongly believe that where other ethnic groups have created things that work for them, why on earth shouldn't we? What a brilliant segue for, you know, to sort of take us right back to talking about YSYS, um, your startup, your story, right? Okay. So your startup, your story. So yeah. So I mean, and, and using what you've just said as a, as a, as a springboard, like make a case for why diversity, because I feel like there might be some intersectionality between what you've just said and say the reasons YSYS exists and perhaps some similarities in some of the things that you might hear on the regular basis for is this really necessary you know yeah so i mean why, why is ys okay which stands for your startup your story and if anybody wants mm -hmm. to read more our website is called this is ysys.com and so you know recapping from the top of our conversation where i explained that initially ysys that was founded by deborah kenler and we were a whatsapp group of people in london some people were curious about tech. Some people were transitioning their careers into tech. There were people like me who perhaps my previous career was more enterprise technology, but not mm -hmm. necessarily startup tech, which is kind of seen as slightly different. And so Deborah, in essence, was kind of navigating London's tech ecosystem, working in tech herself. And whenever she met people that she kind of vibed with, or that they had things kind of in common, she would add them to this uh, WhatsApp group, which grew and grew and grew and grew. Eventually, when it gets to a certain number of people and people are pinging at 4am in the morning and we realize that, hey, okay, we need to bring some, some structure to this group. And she orchestrated, I think very skillfully, she transitioned to Slack. That was actually a big risk at the time because, you know, WhatsApp has its own kind of immediacy. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? And how, yeah. yeah. Whereas Slack, it's, it's, it's a little bit slower. It's a bit more considered, but it worked very well. So now we are a Slack community. So what we tell people is that we incubate on Slack. Now, in terms of where the diversity angle comes in. So initially with YSYS, it was, it was never really about diversity. It just so happened that because the founder was diverse, that around 40% of our members identify with an intersection of diversity. So that can be LGBT, that could be disability, that can be trans, that can be ethnicity. So, I mean, actually we are in a way majority, you know, you could, you could almost say maybe statistically we are 
majority white, but then that also reflects the ecosystem within which we're in. Gotcha. You know, but, but at gotcha. the same time, let's say in the UK right now within technology, it's about 17% women and about two or 3% ethnic within technology in the UK. So we are a lot more diverse than a lot of technology organizations, but it hasn't been by design. So in terms of the sort of the activism and, and what binds us there and this push. For and I suppose the, there's the activism, but I also sense even in, in some of what you said um, earlier uh, about, you know, your, your sort of coming to, to the party and going, uh, there's a business here, you know, or their economic fundamentals we need to start to, you know, to harness or, or to input here. I feel like you might have had the same sort of thinking around something like AfriClick, which should exist because it should exist because it's important because, you know, people matter because black people matter because, you know, we deserve love (laughs) and and all the rest of it. But then there's also the economics of it. So, I mean, marry the two, if you can, like the whole diversity thing with the whole economics, because some people struggle with joining the dots. And for me, I feel like that's the most pragmatic way to explain it, to be an activist in the space. So with YSYS, what started to happen, whether it was organically through our network, because of course in an entrepreneurship network is and even business network is, is so critical, right? So what started to happen organically is organizations within London's tech ecosystem would reach out to us for collaborations or assistance. It could be a, a venture capital fund that maybe they would say, well, we have office hours every week. But we've noticed that we keep on seeing the same type of founder turn up for the office hours. So maybe you're Mark Zuckerberg uh, type individual from a looks mm-hmm. perspective. And they mm. will say, they will say, we would really like to get more variety in the. You mean white? Yes. And male. <laughs> hence and male. Mark's, okay. and, and, hence Mark Just in case, like we're losing people here. No, okay. no, ab- absolutely. And in fact, in the UK, yeah. it is not a term I ever use. In fact, only white women use this term in the UK. They've started to say pale, male, and stale. Whoa. Okay. I that, will, the, I, the, the last bit's harsh, I feel. Yes. I never harsh. use this terminology. But then I think white British women have the privilege. So they can stand on a, they can stand on a conference stage and say, oh, this panel is so pale, male and stale. It's not something I use. I don't think it's helpful, but you know, that's up to them. But I think In that the same would- way I made a joke about Italians liking chocolate, which would probably be totally inappropriate if I was in fact Italian. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there you go. This so, world is just full of it is, rules and, that don't apply to everybody. I, exactly. And, and the privilege for, for who can say what. So, yeah. so in terms of this, we said this, uh, the, the opportunity and around the commercialize, the, the commercialization and the diversity. Actually, what happened was, so organizations would begin to approach us, investors, conferences, accelerator programs, and they would be approaching, first of all, they had just kind of heard about YSYS. They'd heard about, um, maybe, maybe such, cause the thing about us is so many of our members are building amazing things in the ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. we have the founder of a platform called amalia.com. They are in essence like an 
online magazine portal to amplify the voices of uh, Muslim women. And I think mm-hmm. particularly in a post 9-11 world, and I'm sure you see on the news between, let's say, the UK and France now, there is so much talk about mm-hmm. what they are allowed to wear and society mm-hmm. is just having so many like opinions. And Amalia has now become like this kind of great platform, A, where they can carve their voice, but then also now where like big British companies are paying them to get like insights to know how to kind of market to them. We have the founder of an organization called Diversity VC, who are really about pushing to diversify who funds are investing in. We have we have so many amazing like members in that with their own organizations who are doing some activist things. But anyway, so coming back to the topic of commercialization, companies would be approaching us and we would be getting involved to assist them in whatever their mission was. Oftentimes there would be this sort of variety angle or diversity angle if that makes sense so they're kind of mm-hmm. saying hey we, we we hear you guys have got a really smart pool of people some of you also happen to be diverse can kind of come and collaborate so that was where I suppose that my kind of consulting brain and understanding what professional services looks like kind of began to see that hang on this is actually a paid opportunity or the work that's going to go into this is substantial. So maybe like a classic case would be Accelerator A will come to us and they will say, we run a pre-accelerator in London. We have a cohort starting in a few months. The government has incentivized us financially to get more women of color to join this accelerator. We've been trying for two months and we haven't been able to do it. Can you help us? Mm. And typically immediately then just going in to assess the situation we I then have to tell them it, this is not going to be as simple as bringing you some diverse female founders because when we look at the way your program is set up, when we look at the diversity of your mentor pool, when we look at the schedule of programming for your accelerator, maybe it's not parent friendly. You don't mm-hmm. have any diverse um, mentors. When we look at the education program that you've put together for your founders maybe sometimes you're assuming people know things that they don't know. I don't understand if, if that makes sense. It's something I see sometimes the yes. privilege of education. So if an accelerator is teaching their module that week to do with finance, I can very yeah. quickly access an accelerator. Show me your slides. If for your finance module, your slides have loads of big colorful pictures and you don't even have a reference somewhere for further reading. I'm like, you're yeah. assuming that the person who's taking this course has quite a high level of financial acumen, but Mm -hmm. you can't just hire somebody to come in very high level, throw big words around. And you think from that, they're going to be able to do a full financial model, do a top-down estimation, a bottom-up estimation, do the projections, do, does that make sense? Like I think sometimes some except some, not all, you know, they can be a bit, it can be a bit laser fair about these things. So basically they need consulting. They need, they need, to basically ensure that they get the business results they're looking for in in the efforts and resources they're putting towards these programs. Yes, and, and particularly in the UK at the moment, because really now when we talk about diversity in tech in the UK, the big priority is women. A lot of the public bodies will very openly say, we know there is a diversity issue, but we have chosen to focus on women first. 
that's okay. that, that, that's something that has been laid, laid out. Unfortunately, yeah, and I remember you saying earlier that it's pretty much white women first, and then everyone else as and when. Yes, because they these programs haven't been structured to take into account intersectionality. So but then it's also a numbers thing, right? There's more white women than any other kind of woman in in the UK, right? This is no, this is true. But then, say for example, if we look at the way the UK defines equality law. Age is also a, a component. It's a protective characteristic. So yes, there are majority women, majority white women, but actually also the majority of them are probably also over age 30. And gotcha. when we look at how age manifests itself with diversity and technology, there is a real issue with so age. The addressable, so the addressable market in that space is probably far less white than the overall statistic for white women in, in Britain. Yes. And then I would also say, for example, if, uh, if an organization or the government has a budget and they sit there and they decide we are going to focus this budget right now on gender, for example, by you choosing to ignore age, is that the best use of your money at the time? Would you rather gotcha. not just design a program that can look at age and gender? Oh, and guess what? We also have in our protector characteristics, there's something called um, maternity. Also, if you're a carer, carer could mean a parent, you know, it could mean you have a dependent. So say, for example, you know, with your classic accelerator program, it's an intensive three months in a location Right. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a parent personally, but of course, you know, being able to have empathy and walk in the shoes of others, those schedules are not compatible with parents. With parents. Or gotcha. maybe for the fathers, because there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the childcare responsibility. The societal can, acceptability as well. They, there you go. Fathers being away versus women. And then we so, wonder why. Yeah. And then we wonder why. It's been fascinating just listening you talk, talk about this because I feel like, um, I've caught a glimpse of how, the way you apply your your skills and training as a consultant, um, mm. even sort of as a as a technical person within computer science and and entrepreneurship within the space, I feel like well, just listening to you in the last 10, 15 minutes has been quite an education. I wonder how much of that sort of thinking you apply to AfriClick, where it's like, okay, we know it should exist, we know it's important. I've experienced these pains um, on the sort of business opportunity side of it, productizing it. Where did you start with AfriClick? Was the business opportunity side of that idea super obvious to you, or? I mean, I, I would say with with AfriClick, it's. I would say I applied a slightly different mode of thinking, in that I did follow lean startup principles okay. more okay. so with AfriClick because there were more unknowns and risk and and you know I think in in starting AfriClick that the biggest risk that I knew I was kind of carrying or the biggest unknown right was mm -hmm. that is online dating is a dating app too much of a step change for our rather conservative culture especially because I feel like say like uh unlike Americans who have a culture of courting or dating, I feel really in, in, um, and maybe I'm making this more specific because I can't speak for every corner of Africa. Let me mm -hmm. zone down to West Africa, but I'm sure it's pretty similar. We're kind of not really expected to date and experiment that much. Your parents mm. kind of want to think that you were getting educated and you were single and you were a virgin. Then one day you show up with your fiance. They don't really mm. tend to want to know what journey happened. In the middle, that's pretty of the fair. Two. That's a fair. Pretty that's pretty fair, fair isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah and they I don't want so. that journey to be too long. <laughs> nobody, yeah. nobody talks about that. It's just, like just watch, just watch our village at us 
just watch our village at us on this but um <laughs> no no i think i think the village would would pretty much vibe with that i mean i mean we we're accounting for nuance and the fact that you know you know we're not all one people we're not, mm-hmm. all, you know, mm-hmm. we're not a monolith all those good things right mm-hmm. cool. Ab- absolutely yeah. so i think um, the biggest risk was that and so for me and implying kind of lean startup principles and saying okay fine what cheap experiments can i do up front to validate that this is something well first of all that, that this is a problem that people have right because we mm-hmm. we try not to we try not to be in love with the solution and you know focus on the problem because this you know africlick maybe could have solved the problem in in many different ways so actually the first thing that i would say my first sort of big leap to test africlick was i had an event I called it uh, Black Dating Rewired. It mm-hmm. happened in the financial district of London in the city. It was a Thursday evening after work, meaning that all of the hardworking Black professionals could come after work. And in essence, I knew I was designing this for, because um, at, at the time, you know, that that's, that's also myself, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I worked mm-hmm. in the city, I worked long hours. So I knew I was yeah. also designing the type of thing that, I would have would loved, yeah. yeah, that I you would love to do yeah. because for a lot of us, we'll be in our offices and we will either be the only black face or, uh, I'll smile at the security guard when I come in because he's usually going to be from somewhere in Africa and he'll give you mm. a special smile in the morning because even he kind of knows mm. it's just the, the two. nod. He'll yeah. Give you the he'll nod. give you the <laughs> nod. But if you're a female as well, sometimes they give you a sweet, a sweet smile. Does that make sense? Because yes. they'll often know. Like we see you, sister. We see you, young. A- a- exactly. I see because- you, daughter. Exactly, mm. because sometimes you're leaving there at 9, 10 p.m. at night and they're like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Is your taxi there? Mm-hmm. You know, they care about us. But um, yes. either way, we're in these sort of very sanitized environments where a lot of us have, first of all, we've, a lot of people have code switched, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've changed, they've altered their voice. So mm-hmm. a lot of black men will say, they'll be like, I don't understand why I speak three octaves higher. <laughs> when I'm mm-hmm. in the office every when I'm in day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but even in the office. They oh, do in the it. Office. Okay. Yes, okay. because you know, black black men are often um they you know that they're, they're not demasculating, but you know there's yeah. a way they carry no, no, themselves. No, you, you have you have to tone it down. Let's be honest. Yes, yes. So well, like let people just come and kind of let loose. So um, so yeah. I did. A, it was a panel discussion event. We called it Black Dating Rewired, where we talked about black dating and relationships. We I put together a panel of men and also a panel of dating experts and we I pre-published the topics and you know we talked about things like uh are we still guilty of colorism in dating? Whoa. We talked about Whoa. oh yeah, I see I, I like to go in for like Whoa. the the <laughs> topics. <Whoa. laughs> But again, also that, that's also where I can bring my consulting brain because I know, I know how to structure a discussion, have the discussion points, brief the speakers, facilitate. We had a topic where we said, um, something like, do our parents have too much impact on our dating habits and relationships? Now that opened. Yes. And, and that went to places where, you know, we had, I had one lady on the platform who, you know, one woman said, well, my granddad had, I think it was about eight wives and there's polygamy in my family. So mm-hmm. she could accept and say, look, to this day, I've had to do the work to understand 
that this is how it's impacted my relationships. We had another man on the panel that said, look, my parents moved over from Nigeria, maybe in like the fifties. My father left and started another family. My mom was a single mother alone. And he then explained that, well, he ended up presenting his mother because she had to play the role of a father and a mother and a breadwinner. So she, I guess she was kind of upset and very angry all of the time, but ultimately she was surviving and keeping her family together. But he said, I've had to do the work to understand that this is why today, sometimes I don't date black women because I have this problem going all the way back. So it's curating an environment where people can open up, where, you know, I here's an idea for you. You need to do one with married people. Let me tell you, my wife and I are all up in that. I really I do. I'm telling you. Because that's the other <laughs> side of this. Because the networking part, which we didn't get to... I don't think we're going to have time to talk about the whole networking side of what you have planned, which I hope we get to speak about at some other time because you have to we be have back to. on the show. At this point, you're, you're a friend to. of the show. Never mind. Like <laughs> yes. we, we normally call them friends of the show after they've on at least twice, but you're a friend of the show and we have to come back and talk about this. But I'll say, I'll say like... The, the science of actually dating other couples when you're married is a whole thing. And also dating while black, dating other couples while black. It's a whole thing. Yes. Yeah. No, that could be, that's something for nothing. Uh, something thank, for thank nothing. Thank you. It's, but, been, it's been noted down. And, and actually it's interesting because really on the networking side, it was married people a lot that were telling me include a networking side because they were thinking about themselves Hmm. and they were, yes. And they were also thinking about their children in the diaspora saying that I need my children to be able to reach out and connect with people who are from where they're from. Of course, they're going to have, of course they're going to have a variety of international friends as, as do I, even myself, my friends are from all over the world, but it's important to be able to touch base with yeah. people who look like you and who have had similar experiences. Yeah. So. But sorry, I now I interrupted you because you were on your way to explaining how this was your experiment. Okay, yes. Um, and you were applying lean startup principles to yes. sort of developing. I suppose at this point you're trying to develop the idea past this just needs to happen because it needs to happen or this matters to me or I want this to exist. Right? Yes. Yeah, so this, this was about, um, saying, okay, is there enough of a challenge within dating within our demographic? So w- within, mm. w- within, um, black dating, cause actually as much as we say African, you know, Caribbean is there as well, African and Caribbean yeah. descent. Yeah, so yeah. it was around, let's, let's have this discussion to see whether our people are experiencing, you know, whether you talk about a problem or pain in this area and are the nuances enough that it is worth creating a different platform, you know, something separate. And, and, and what I did with that event in particular was that I made the tickets free, but then people had to fill in like a very, very long survey. Like I think it was about 15 questions. And some Oh, of- that's smart. That is so smart. <sighs> It's essentially people paid to attend, but they paid in the most important currency for you, which was the the, the data. Yes, the insights and some of the questions were longer form. So all the demographics to identify who they are, but also questions around what they were looking for in a partner, how easy or difficult it was for them to find a partner, why they felt they were still single, what types of things would you like to have to help you? And, and there was definitely this overwhelming from both male and female, but there was this overwhelming feeling of pain. Actually, actually, when I read through some of the survey responses, because I believe we, we had about we, we, I mean, we actually, we, we went, we went over capacity for the venue. In fact, the venue wouldn't work with me again because 
there were just so many people. And then when we had to start turning people away, the staff kind of weren't really equipped for that. And you know what it's oh, like. In this, and you know what it's like sometimes in this country where we call it when you black out a venue. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it just gets uncomfortable. It's just like, listen, it was fine when there was 10 of you. <laughs> like f- like 20 like what what are we what are we to do exactly no, <laughs> like well, is, we is, were 100 is our venue designed for this <laughs> and you know we were we were 100 exactly and we were 150 and you know at the end of an event oh, we, my word. and then we know at the end of an event we don't like to go home because everyone is so excited no. just to be surrounded no. by people with commonalities <laughs> the vibe is right the vibe is right <laughs> everyone <laughs> just kind of wants to talk and then also what i noticed at the um the africa event uh, for uh, black dating rewired a lot of parents came as well a lot of people in their 50s and 60, 60s came and when they hmm. stood up to speak they said they said i'm here for my children, because I am worried about how difficult I think it is for them. So even some families came. Wow. Which. And so, so what would you have distilled from that, that essentially got you thinking, okay, definitely I have enough here to sort of justify like looking for money, pitching real investors who aren't sentimental or aren't necessarily sold on, you know, on my values or all of this, like what did it come down to in terms of the economics? I think it was me validating that if you are of Afro-Caribbean descent and at least within the location I surveyed, that it is not easy to find a partner. That was really what I wanted to take away. If, if I had done this event and everyone had said, it's easy it's so easy. Then, okay. then, then I may or may know how not. To be fair, I could have still done it. It could have just been maybe like a broader, more mass market play. But um, it was to validate that it, it's not easy, and that was definitely the, the the overwhelming signal. And and I mean, to this day, actually, when people ask me what keeps you going in building AfriClick, I say it's our future users because yeah. now. I can't even go out to an event. People will approach me and be like, when is it ready? I need to find my husband. Or guys will be like, I need to meet my wife. What's going on? We need this. And also now because, because our closed beta right now is, uh, Android because we were building, uh, native apps just so we can have a kind of robust user experience. So Mm -hmm. all the iOS crew are, uh, harassing me periodically yeah, saying yeah, hurry yeah. up so when people say what keeps you going i'm like i'm accountable now i have to deliver yeah. something which actually is i have is a constituent a, yeah and it's pressure as well actually yeah. I, I feel i feel and a how, lot you, of how are you how are you that. funding this is this bootstrapped Did, were some angels involved so we're bootstrapped at the moment i did mm-hmm. get a little bit of uh like a few thousand um grant funding Mm -hmm. grant Mm -hmm. meaning it doesn't have to be paid back but in Mm -hmm. essence um i entered i entered like three early stage pitch competitions and you know typically Mm -hmm. there maybe you can get a thousand you can get five thousand so which i think i I took away about five five so not a lot a little bit under ten thousand pounds which but then but the great thing is it's a grant you don't have to you don't have to pay it pay back. back. Okay. Um, and so it's not sitting on your, in your balance sheet as a liability. Yes. And, and, and those, and I think even those things for me, like being able to enter a competition and prove to people, often majority white panel. So it takes 
extra convincing. Look, not that I something. rate these these competitions. I just like them when people like you are getting the money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I I totally don't rate. I totally think they're. I, well, I suppose the context is totally different because again, you're in a developed setting, and I think there's already a culture towards resourcing good ideas. Um, yes. It's just I think that just comes with the privilege of being part of the global north or the west. Whereas here, I just think the same sort of three, four nights a week, a competition here, a competition there, I think does more damage on the continent, given where we're at in the development cycle of our ecosystem. That's a fair point. It's not so, I'm, so I'm not panning it all, and I don't think it shouldn't exist. I think here, can we just fix ecosystem fundamentals before... We enable brands to sort of PR their way to fanboy status by like throwing one grand here, five grand it's true. here, you know? It's true because yeah, it's not sustainable for, for the it's stage where Africa is at. Exactly. Well, whereas with, with an ecosystem like you guys, where you're not, you're past sort of dealing in many respects. But I mean, by and large, relative to Africa, even diasporan founders, African founders based in the UK aren't necessarily dealing with the same existential issues absolutely not like we're very privileged <laughs> we're very privileged yeah. here so so so, so five thousand pounds for two thousand pounds here and there like to keep you sort of motivated to keep trying experimenting i think makes sense in that context if you understand what i mean abs- abs- absolutely so i don't mean to knock it yet no ab- absolutely i think in london ecosystem we have we have so many resources available. Yeah. And I think w- what we have as well, organizations like Tech Nation and Capital Enterprise mm. that are like ecosystem builders and accelerators and incubators. And because they get a big chunk of their money from the government and from the EU, I don't know what's going to happen after Brexit, but what happens with these bodies is because the money is coming from government and EU, they're quite generous with it. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Because you're not yes. running, you're not running a PL. You're, you're, you know, or you're going to report to the government at the end of the year, for example. Someone got it. <laughs> yeah. How many individuals did we educate? Yeah. That's the KPI yeah. you have to report back. So even oftentimes they would like a typical tech accelerator in London, even if maybe you don't make it onto the accelerator program or into the incubator, if you smile and you show them your idea and they like you, they might just decide, do you know what? Come and hot desk with us two days a week, we won't charge you. You can, you know, soak up our community. You know, people are always offering event space for free. Like there's, there's really so much you can build in London. There's, there's gotcha. so much and we're very lucky, very, very lucky. Gotcha. So with AfriClick, I'm just interested to, to understand how you plan to monetize one and then whatever sort of numbers you can give us in like quick flurry to to indicate you know how many of us need to actually sign up for this to become a viable viable from a from a user standpoint and then a paid user standpoint okay perfect so we're using a freemium subscription model as our monetization so the basic app will be free to download browse match with people and chat with people and then in terms of the the monetization, so why would people then upgrade to the freemium? I'll be very honest because, as we said, this is actually about kind of helping the listeners and a lot of people are looking into subscription models. So I will actually yeah. say that I will discuss the strategy, 
but mm. a lot of founders kind of in this marketplace space because in a way this kind of is a marketplace it's a network effect sometimes yes. sometimes you might only really know how you're going to monetize once people start using it and you monitor yes. the different events you monitor what people do and then you now realize okay uh well there's two ways to do it you either take something away that the user enjoys doing and you make them pay to have it mm-hmm. Or you offer them more. Yeah. Those are the, really the two routes. Right now, the route we've built in is the offer them more. So the idea mm. with AfriClick is that who will upgrade to the freemium subscription? I think it's going to be a user who is about maybe 27 years old for whom really meeting the right person and getting married is a priority. So with the way AfriClick is built now, we've created very rich data profiles about the users. So let's, let's just say for an example, height, uh, at least in with our user base in the UK, most women will say they want the guy to be six foot or taller. It's one of our most requested things. So on AfriClick, wow. you can see if a guy, you can see his height, but if you want to filter your search by height, then you need to upgrade to do that. Similarly, gotcha. If you want to search outside of your immediate city, so maybe I've swiped and I've seen everyone within London, but actually the next town is Birmingham, or maybe I know I'm going to Lagos for Christmas, but I want to start looking now, or I'm going to see family in Atlanta. Yeah, you can do that, but you need to upgrade to passport to another location. If you want to see red receipts on your messages, so okay, did did he did she actually see my messages? Am I or am I being ignored? You can kind of upgrade for that. Super likes, so rather than waiting for somebody to like you back, if you just want to kind of really push something out like I'm interested. So in essence, I, I call them I call them power dating features or power search features. So if you're somebody, for example, I am Muslim and I'm going to raise my children as Muslim and I need to marry a Muslim person, which, you know, some people might say, oh, but that's, you know, exclusive, but then it's, it's people's religion. That's what's important to them. Then yeah. that's a filter that people will need to pay for. So in essence, the way we've designed it, anyone can see all the information, but if you want to focus your search and get the power dating features. If you want us working harder for you. <laughs> yes. Um, you need to resource that. Yes. That's how we have it set up and, you know, that that's the strategy that we're going to test. And, and in a way, it's also, I mean, we're also following kind of what the industry does, but it's also, how could I put it? It's also to enable us to capture the market because this is an open market. So say, for example, some people would say, well, why don't you just make it paid from the beginning? And I say, well, because nobody is really doing African dating at the moment. So it's more important for me to come in and acquire everyone. And also there's an argument for, you know, uh, you don't want to put yourself in a position where other platforms turn this, these ideas on, or goodness forbid, like uh, create an internal AfriClick within existing platforms. What are, what are the odds of that, do you think? Because this idea first popped into my head around 20, I would say, as early as even 2015, but then, you know, I had a well-paying corporate job and, and my approach then was very corporate. So what did I do? I emailed like the big players like match.com, IAC media and eHarmony. And I was like, I need to speak to someone because there's this great market that you guys are missing. And then they weren't interested. So I think first of all, initially, I actually, I, I tried going that way. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm glad that didn't work out, but 
In terms of the large existing players, so let's just say, take, for example, IAC Media. So what's in their portfolio now? Uh, Match.com, which they have 15 million paid subscribers globally, and they pay an average of $22 a month. And then now they've, they also have Tinder within their portfolio, which I believe has now passed like the billion in terms of the number of, uh, you know, user marks. They've recently acquired a Latin X dating app. So that's letting them capture sort of South America. I think with the bigger players, they grow by acquisition. Yeah. So I suppose that's also a, a, a great selling point for VCs obsessed with, okay, so what's your exit, exit. strategy? Absolutely. You know, how do I? How do you make this worth my while? Like tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about VC, but as you can tell, but, um, but yeah, I, I totally get you. I totally get you. You know, I suppose last question, I promise in the context of what you're building in the context of what brought you here, it like in broad strokes. Now what's winning for, for London black tech over the next short term? So one to two years, what's winning and then what's winning for you as a founder? over the next sort of short term? I think for London black tech ecosystem hmm. over the next two years, I, hmm. I think about two things. One within the ecosystem play is getting more of our people into positions of influence and power. So in essence, like diversifying the power systems uh, within the ecosystem. So that, that's, um, and I'll give you maybe uh, one example. So have you heard of, uh, backstage capital? Yes. Uh, I followed the, the startup podcast series, um, that featured Arlen. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it Arlen Hamilton? That's Hamilton? right. Yeah. So yes, I, I became a huge fan just listening to that. I believe she, she feels it wasn't a perfect or near, it was, it wasn't nearly as great as one as she would it was have very at dramatic right at depicting her story but i think it did far more good than harm in that regard um and so for that reason yes it, it's long story short i do know arlen and she's the person i thought of when you said that are you are you hoping stories like hers become the norm in a place like london well i mean here's what's happened so in terms of getting um, more of our people into those positions so now that backstage capital they're doing a london accelerator and oh really yes yeah, so i mean I think now that they're doing three or four accelerators. So I think one in Philadelphia, one in London. I'm not sure what the other two cities are. So mm. they've hired the London team who is going to run London. And that's, uh, so Andy Davis, I want to get their names correct. Sure. Andy Iam and I believe Anissa Osman Britton. So it just so happens that the three managers of the London Accelerator all happen to be YSYS members. Oh my word. So Validation. Validation just so happens. Validation. And, and okay. that's, and so more of, more of that. More of that. More like, of that are people mm. winning because for us, that's sustainable, right? They happen mm. to be, uh, well, I don't know, there's a black male, a mixed race male, and one is, I think, Indian, her parents are Indian mm. and British and white diversification of yeah. influences and power, which unfortunately maybe it shouldn't be needed, but it helps to normalize us for the rest of the industry. So we don't yeah. look risky. Like, hey, we can actually do this stuff. Because <laughs> Backstage Capital with a thesis of giving underestimated founders an equal chance. Mm. Because we mm. actually we actually say all of this is about with diversity. I say it's about equality. We just want the same chance. 
If I, if yeah. I deliver a pitch and a white man delivers the same pitch, ask me the same questions that you would ask yeah. him. Don't demand of me what you demand of him and vice versa. Yes. But, just, just, and, yeah. I, and I find with diversity, cause it gets some people's backs up. But when you say it's about equality, that sometimes shuts some people up because you're actually just asking for the same, the same opportunity. So in terms of yourself then, um, okay, in terms of like then, what you're trying to achieve with, with AfriClick and what would the next two years going really, really well, um, going to plan look like? Going to plan look like. So we are going to start the raising process. I would love to do at least 500k. Okay. And that, what sort of runway does that buy you? Two to three years. Two to three I'm years. Saying, wow, you're running light. You're running light. And this is pounds, yeah? This is pounds. I would, okay, like, I would okay. like to do at least, I'm saying at least 500k, I think, to make the process worthwhile. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I think with some of the, cause, because right now, as I said, I'm going to start the process in January. But of course, in the mini run up, like, you know, throughout the journey, I call it like, you know, when you have some pots, you have some pots on the back of your stove that the heat has turned very, very low, but it's bubbling, mm. you know. So, mm. so I also feel that minimum 500, but I think if I can land the right industry investor that is into the communications and the social networking and the dating space and they get it. Yeah. Then. Thinking big, it could be 1.5 million. Here's my call to action for that partner who's listening right now. Um, listen, give them the 500k and then resource them the rest via your platform. Yeah, absolutely. Which is an option we're looking at. Absolutely. Because, and then, and then it's a plugin and it's, it's a win-win and you guys turn immediately too big to fail. But then you also given the autonomy you need to make the sort of day-to-day operational changes and updates that you need to make, you know, to, to make things work. Oh, that's, yeah. It's like, it's like you're in my mind and that, that. Yeah. Uh, and then you're leveraging like the best of breed in terms of like infrastructure. The, the, the backend and infrastructure and mm-hmm. all the stuff that typically trips up, like even successful um, yep. social media Data companies, even kills them sometimes. Privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Privacy. Yeah, that's that's what I hope because everything I've seen so far, I've I've heard so far about this. Like my chest gets warm talking about it and thinking about it, and I really do wish you all the very best. Genuinely, Thank I do. Thank you. We say for us and for our many users, impatiently, in, impatiently waiting for. for Aye, right, chill, for, for chill. For tell, them chill. Tell, them, <laughs> tell them to chill. Tell them, tell them. Man must chill. The problem is they want to chill. They're trying to tell their parents to chill because you know, yeah. with, with us, our whole family get invested in our love lives, don't they? Unfortunately, well, it's, the, it's not just our decision; it's a community decision, isn't it? No, the ladies must hold hold tight, and the the men must chill. Everyone must just chill. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, um, none of us will be waiting too long because even us um, married types are like, hey, we could have some fun here. So. <laughs> Here's to hope. Here's to hoping. Oh, and not that kind of fun. In case that's misconstrued. I mean, my wife and I together. Um, the networking. Net, the, the networking fun and the, the, the networking thing. The yeah. goals related networking, as I say, people. Yeah. And we're setting it up goals related, so you could be looking for your next co-founder, your next investor, somebody to play play football with or hang out. But I think it's actually quite telling about the dating industry, online dating industry, that I had to say that. I mean, it's quite. <laughs> <laughs> 
what? It's dicey in these streets. So, <laughs> hey, I don't want people misconstruing nothing. So, no, we do wish you the best. And thank you so much for being on the show. Um, this is this is a milestone for me as well. and something that I always listen to. And I think also for me, learn so much about what was happening in uh, maybe East Africa in particular. That's, that's really kind. And I'm glad to be part of that. A part of your story. And so, Dayo Akinrinade, is that correct? Good pronunciation. Excellent. Dayo Akinrinade of AfriClick, as well as your startup, your story. Did I get that in the right order? Yeah, your startup, your story. That's perfect. Your startup, your story. Thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. No, absolutely. And then last plug in to say as well, and you can find us at africlick.com. And literally now, if people are interested, you can just visit the website and drop your email and, you know, we'll, we'll do the rest. We'll invite you to the beta. Fantastic. Fantastic. You take it easy.